Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining episode two of Masari Happy Hour. As always, we're going to kick it off with a quick disclaimer. All opinions expressed by our hosts and our guests are merely their own opinions. They do not reflect any endorsements or opinions of their companies. This discussion is meant for informational purposes only. You should not take their opinions as investment advice, as you will be solely responsible for your own investment. Hosts and guests may hold cryptocurrencies discussed in this Twitter spaces. Additionally, certain Masari employees are required to disclose their holdings, which is updated monthly and available here on our website, um, which I've linked and shared in the Twitter spaces for you guys to digest. Without further ado, I'm going to kick it off to Mr. Tom Dunleavy. Good afternoon. Good evening, everybody. Uh, how's it going out there? Thanks for uh, coming to join us here in these trying crypto times at the moment. Um, hope everyone is uh, doing well and uh, you know reevaluating their portfolios at the current moment. Uh, so we'll, we'll kick it off here talking about the UST uh, scenario that's in the news. Um, do want to mention I, I, I hold a small bit of Luna. I think others on the call likely do as well. Um, but, you know, uh, all, all objective opinions here um, in terms of what's going on right now, because I think this situation affects the broader ecosystem just as much as it does Luna. Uh, you know, <laughs> seeing the headline prices, Luna is down over 50%. UST is depegged. Um, and it's, it's affecting them, but it's affecting everyone else as we sort of go down here. So just a quick, uh, a quick uh, sort of intro. Um, I think we all know what USD is, but just to level set, you know, the Algobax stablecoin native to the Terra ecosystem uses a seniorage shares model uh, where Luna absorbs sort of the volatility of UST. One UST worth of Luna is burnt to mint. Uh, I mean, one USD worth of Luna is meant to um, is burnt to mint one UST and vice versa. And it's primarily algo-backed, uh, using that buying and selling mechanism to keep it in line with $1. There's some additional, or there was some additional backing in terms of uh, Bitcoin in their, um, in their vaults, along with some AVAX. That Bitcoin has uh, since been moved. It's unclear if that Bitcoin has been sold or uh, lent out. It seems they've done a bit of both, um, and it looks like it's been removed from, from their wallet that the uh, Luna Foundation Guard held. Um, so what happened? We lost you, Tom. We can hear can some you, background. Yep. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Good to go. Thanks. Yeah, so um, the broader macro environment has been really challenging the past week or two. You know, equities are down over 20% on the NASDAQ over the past month. That certainly contributes to broader crypto volatility, but it seems that the volatility that is attributed to UST and Luna um, you know, may have been sort of, uh, you know, some sort of short campaign by some investors. It looks like a lot of the um, on-chain volume that was bringing sort of uh, the token down was, was primarily due to a range of, of shorting attacks. And there are a bunch of folks who, who kind of tweeted about this. Um, so that's still up in the air. But it, what it, what is clear right now is that Luna's trying to defend their peg. You have Doquan and others out on sort of Twitter talking about, um, you know, they're, they're shoring up their reserves. And uh, there's been rumors that other folks are sort of coming in to potentially uh, lend some funding at the moment. So uh, as we speak, I think we're back to 91 cents on UST versus USDC. We were down at 61 cents, so we've bounced back from what was a really, uh, really uh, large depegging. Um, so, uh, so, that, so that's sort of the background. I'd love to uh, have some of my colleagues here come on and, and talk about their initial thoughts on, on how the situation evolved and where we, uh, we may be going.
I'll jump in here and just kind of say, as far as, you know, what do I think of the model? Does it come back? Does it return to pay? All that kind of stuff. Uh, honestly, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's kind of a big question right now. And I think if, uh, if there was like strong conviction towards not reaching the peg, I think the market would act quickly. And if there's strong conviction towards returning to the peg, I also believe the market would kind of act quickly to, to close both of those possibilities. So it seems like, you know, the market, at least from the marketing perspective, like there's no strong opinion on whether or not we, we return to peg, which is probably from like the Terra group. That's probably the best outcome for them is that they actually have a chance to, to strategize and recover the peg. I think the big thing is like my personal interest is in how are people handling this from like the philosophy of crypto and just the wider space. Like one, uh, I personally am going to stop calling UST an algo coin. I think uh, if you need to actively tweet about the, you know, unilateral decisions of your treasury and all of a sudden you're loaning treasury assets to market makers and OTC traders to try and, you know, recover the peg or not, that's by definition not an algorithmic process. So I don't think uh, that this is necessarily a condemnation on all algo coins. Other coins like Fay and Frax, at least so far, seem to be holding up fine. So, you know, I think this is like an experiment. This is, this is kind of a branding thing. This is a can we push the chain? How far can we take this? Can you actively manage an algo coin? algo in quotes now. So I think, you know, my mental model is this is an experiment and I'm I'm personally interested in to see like how the community reacts to, to this kind of crisis in the experiment. Yeah, I definitely like agree that it's, it's more of an experiment, right? And like to kind of even reassure a little bit of that, like you're comparing to Frax and Faye and there's some of the reserve models. Um, like in all fairness, right, the LFG, the jump proposal kind of like, you know, kind of suggested, hey, we're going to do this new, you know, Bitcoin redemption model. Well, that was like, what, you know, what, a month or so ago? Uh, it really hasn't had time to like actually get in place. So that's where you get to see some of the centralization, a lot of like kind of like coordinated, essentially defending the peg. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it gets back to peg at some point. Uh, how it gets there, I don't know, right? more of the question to me is right in the Luna asset. Like how, how did that have to just get blood sacrificed? Um, it's, it's relatively unclear at this point. Um, like I've, I've seen suggestions, you know, Tom, you kind of alluded to this, you know, um, other people is kind of stepping in. I think we've seen figures around where the block reported about a billion, two billion. Um, I'm not quite sure that's enough. You know, uh, you look at kind of anchors lost about seven, $8 billion dollars. Uh, of just kind of withdrawals and they're kind of just out there sitting, right? So where are those going, right? Um, that, that's quite a big number to absorb. So still more to come, right? We're, we're not out of the woods quite yet. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because what sort of risk premium do you assign even if you get back to par? It's, you know, 20% on anchor reserves or so right now. Do you is that enough for people is I, I don't know if it is at the moment, given this sort of risk and how long does it take for folks to get confidence again, that this may be something they want to invest in. I, I think what I'm more worried about is the broader liquidity for the Terra ecosystem. This is sort of their stable coin. It's their lifeblood. It's the velocity of money for all of their applications. If this continues to you know fall off a cliff and, and and you know folks are pulling their money what happens to all those other long tail of applications in the ecosystem in general it may stagnate for a while it may survive but it's going to put a strain on all of those marginal uh ecosystems um all those marginal protocols and and developers who are thinking about going to terra, terra versus other ecosystems yeah i totally agree with that point right so like just because you get the peg back doesn't mean you got the ecosystem back. That's, that's a completely different um, question. So like do developers come like that's, that's definitely questionable. Right. But to your point around like liquidity, does liquidity dry up in, in Terra's ecosystem? I actually don't think so. Right. You look at most of it was basically just sitting in anchor anyway. So if you just took out anchor reserves, right, you know, you still got a pretty decent liquid, you know, decks, you've got Mars. It was, you know, relatively growing. Uh, Prism's doing very well. Um, so like from a broader ecosystem, 
system perspective. You know, you as you know, take out Anchor, right? You still got decently liquid markets. Um, you know, the the big question is users, right? Users and devs. Are users going to be like, hey, do I come over here and play with this, or or same same question for devs? Um, that that's definitely hard to answer at this point. Yeah, I think that uh, some infrastructure providers are going to reassess the risk of UST. Uh, the same thing that we've seen with Fay when it lost its peg after the genesis that they had. Like many protocols were afraid to list Fay because it was not keeping the peg. So I think this is going to play out with UST from now on. I think uh, a lot of protocols are going to think the risk of having UST listed on their protocols and also uh, centralized exchanges are going to uh, think about the risk of having this asset as listed on their on their markets. That's very interesting because with as far as like the Fay peg when they were struggling with that, that you know if I'm if I'm recalling correctly, that all that entire battle was fought like in crypto. Like it was, you know, it was like can you hold the peg on Uniswap or on Curve and, and all these different DEXs? But for UST, you know, as soon as that liquidity was all pulled from the Curve for pool, you know, I was watching this, uh, you know, the battle for peg back and forth, looking at the Binance price feed, right? And all the, you know, as soon as all the TradFi crowd started piling in, everyone was tweeting like the Binance price feed UST over, over USDT, right? So like, it, it was very strange to watch this like happen on centralized stuff because there wasn't really a lot of like activity actually on like ethereum or something like eth gas price barely even i I was looking at like the transaction history yesterday and there was literally just a handful of swaps that happened at gas at like 500 a couple at 200 but the average gas for the day was still like 60 which is not like a crisis mode kind of gas right like in previous crashes you've seen gas get to you know four figures almost it's been terrifying in a sense like that's a true measure of market fear but this has all happened on the centralized exchanges i mean to play a little devil's advocate to you mike like terra's has its own unique uh landscape it's not necessarily all on ethereum um however i'm pretty sure we did see like some congestion and stoppage of the chain. I know that Thor chain also had to block off uh, the liquidity yesterday. So, um, like, there there were ways that this was playing out on chain, and you could see the visibility there. Do you guys think this was systemic? Like, uh, because it was happening across these different chains, because it was happening on centralized exchanges, I know, like, obviously Bitcoin and Ethereum had, it's probably a, a relatively safe to say that some of that negative price action had to do with this whole crisis and stuff. But look, like the NASDAQ has been down a lot. The S&P has been down a lot. Crypto has just traded like a high beta, you know, risk on asset relative to, to the more risky indices, right? So like if this UST DPEG never even happened, and I saw crypto or Bitcoin went down this much on a day. Like that's an ugly day. But I almost, I almost wouldn't like it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility. So you know, one of the things that I've battled back and forth with is if a lot of people say this is exposing systemic weakness and systemic risk because UST has gone so many places. But it, it doesn't seem all that crazy to me. Like the outcome of this, I don't feel like we manifested huge amounts of systemic risk. I, totally I agree. agree. I'm, sorry, Tom, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I totally agree. I think people forget how thin these markets are compared to the equity markets. If you're selling an enormous amount of Bitcoin, everything right now has a pretty tight correlation to Bitcoin and Bitcoin has a tight correlation to the equity markets, like you were saying. So, you know, if the equity markets are down 20%, Bitcoin's going to be down a little more for better or worse right now. And if a significant amount of Bitcoin is being sold in one chunk, like the LFG had 80,000 Bitcoin. That's a lot of Bitcoin that's was sold in a very short period of time. That's going to cascade across all assets just from that one major asset being being sold off. I, I think I kind of buy Mike's point a little bit here, too. It's not as systemic as like you might want to play it out, right? You got, let's say, the third largest uh, stablecoin 
crash in 60 cents, right? That kind of sounds like a pretty dangerous scenario. And you look at kind of the Bitcoin um, price action. It's not, it's not that bad, be honest, given the, the scope of things here, right? I think, you know, Mike has got a good point. It's almost like how um, it almost kind of proves how inorganic the UST uh, supply was, right? Um, you know, so like that kind of shows you, so it was, I think, close to like 90% in Anchor. That means there's not a whole lot on Ethereum. There's not a whole lot in, you know, I'll say Osmosis or ThorChain, et cetera. Um, so in this in this sense, like kind of the implosion is is kind of contained within the terror ecosystem to a degree, right? It doesn't really spread into Aave, Compound, and all these other um, ecosystems that we're kind of like used to touching, right? It may be a little bit of curve, but um, really not honestly that big of a deal. Yeah, I, I think that the cascading effect, effects on DeFi were mostly concentrated on Curve, you know, like uh, the liquidity provider that was that were left on the uh, pool with USDT, uh, they hold now most of USDT position. So like we haven't seen this playing out on like the lending protocols or anything like this. So. I kind of agree with Mike as well. And not to like take it philosophical for a second, but honestly, one of the most negative trends I've seen coming on crypto Twitter off of this is, is I think there's an incredible amount of very fair critiques that can be made, right? Like UST is an analogo coin. Is it not? How do you disclose like these kinds of intricacies to people? Can we, let people know where the anchor yield is coming from so they can make an informed choice. All of that's very, very fair critiques, but there's a lot of narrative bouncing back and forth about, oh, this is a systemic crisis. This is why you don't do that. A lot of like, you know, maxis on different chains coming through and saying, oh, you know, you were being reckless and all that stuff. I'm like, I, I personally believe everybody is, all the builders in crypto, they inherently want to build something systemically important. Right. Like the mission of crypto is to be systemically important. And this is, you know, it's two trillion dollars and we all want to make some money here. But like, you know, there's a mission, right? Like we're, we're trying to impact positive change in the world. And when you start to have these, you know, very negative attacks on, you know, whether or not Luna did the right thing here, like an attack on the idea of building something important on the idea of experimentation it creates a very negative ecosystem and negative culture in this space. So I would just kind of like to encourage people to think, you know, everyone wants to build something systemically important and is crypto resilient. I think if this was to kill crypto, then we failed. And that's a reflection on all of us. That's not a reflection on Terra per se, right? But, you know, I, I think people should be very measured in their grand sweeping critiques of, of this kind of stuff and this kind of experimentation. I think we have a lot of warring camps right now in crypto, and that's playing out, uh, you know, it has played out for a while, but it's certainly playing out around this situation more than anything else. I find it a little dis distasteful that everyone's sort of dancing on the grave of Luna and UST. Um, even even if, like, you, you really are against that sort of whole ethos that they stood for, it's going to bring down the ecosystem in general if if this chain does fail, and that you should you should care about that, and you should care about the innovations they're they're trying to do. Like you said, Mike, um, if we're really trying to to think of a way to make a new form of money, you know, that we're going to have to try all the different all the different avenues: over collateralized, under collateralized, one for one. Um, and this may have been to the extreme, but. I think it was worth, worth trying and have others have tried it. But I think the biggest backlash that I'm worried about is the regulatory backlash. When you have Janet Yellen talking about the stuff in front of, I don't know who she was in front of today, Congress or whatever the, the clip was from. I mean, that's just the start of it. You, you know, some grandstanding politicians are going to go off on this situation. So I, I really hope things start to stabilize here and we can point to some very concrete things that went wrong and we can hopefully rectify those and make them um, you know, easily accessible enough in people's heads that they aren't saying like all of crypto is a Ponzi because of this one thing. Because that's that's such an easy argument for some regulators right now. And and that's that's what I really hope doesn't happen out of the situation. 
I think, well, one thing is, so I remember, uh, I, I want to say a month or two ago, I'm, I'm going to get the timeline wrong here, but there was a Senate hearing where they were talking about like Olympus and like the ohm forks. And then all of a sudden, one of the senators said, you know, magic internet money, MIM. So in my mental model, as far as how regulators are approaching the space, they're aware, they know. And whether this DPEG happened or not, they were going to find critiques of the system, right? Like, you know, not to cost speculation or anything, but like I've heard apparently stories and tweets of senators trying to get their own staffers to use protocols to dig up all this kind of stuff. Like there, there, there's already a target on crypto's back from a regulatory point of view. So I don't, certainly UST and this whole episode gives them ammo, but it, I don't think it creates a more or less response in, in either direction. At least I'm not convinced that it's massively going to swing the field. I had a question for the broader group here. I, we posted Doquan's tweet. What uh, what do we think his announcement might include? And when do you think said announcement might happen? Novogratz just got four bill from LPs and he's going to pump it so his tattoo doesn't look bad. Uh, I, I don't know what the, what the real plan is, though. I, I have no clue how they plan to recover this. If you look at the market cap of Terra to their Bitcoin holdings and stuff like that, are they even solvent? Like, I, I legitimately don't know what the strategy here is. Yeah, I, th I think it's just got to be direct peg funding, right? It, in whatever amount that is. And it's just a list of investors who decided to jump in. I think there are some rumors that folks are going to get haircuts on Luna tokens up to like 50% to jump in, which is crazy. Um, it, it seems like Luna is back if you look at sort of the reserves, market cap, et cetera, at the moment. But it's really tough to say because the no matter what the fundamental backing is in the treasury, it could always go lower in the spot price. Um, that, that doesn't really matter. At what point does it become like a question of too big to fail, though? Like This is essentially what we're trying to get away from. And, you know, if we're just going to have all of these people come in and throw a bailout together, um, I mean, granted, I'm not in the position to take any sort of action like that, but uh, there is the whole question of this as well. Another question to ask, um, what could Doe or Terra announce that would make you want to buy and hold Luna or make you a long-term believer in the project? quiet i'm a i'm a dj i like trading coins i like l1s i like the tech plays i'm here to liberate the masses and, and destroy the old financial institutions that hold people down i don't necessarily think you know just on a personal level that a prod you know i anchor reserves distribute some vc wealth into my pocket like it's fun and all but I don't necessarily think there's anything that's really going to swing people either direction. I, I feel like most people's minds are probably made up at this point. Like there's nothing that could swing my mind. Yeah, I, I think. Go, go ahead, Yuri. No, I would say that I think that Luna and Terra is going to like increase the, the amount that they hold as collateral to like increase people's confidence on the system, you know, like and also lower the amount of uh of, of usd that is hold by uh, that is backed by Luna. So i think this can increase a lot the confidence that people has on this this coin yeah i th i think it really has to be what are they doing to back what, what are they adding to the collateral pool that's going to make this palatable to most people i don't know what that ratio is for investors. So what does Frax have? Something like 85% collateral in their pool. I think it could be lower than that. And then if they still pay some yield on on um, Anchor, that, that probably entices some users to stay. There's always going to be a core base of users who are very loyal to the ecosystem. It, it really is about getting those marginal users back on board. So what is that? Is it, hey, we need to put 50% in the reserve 
And maybe that's what part of those announcement is, is we got a few bills we're going to be and then some Bitcoin or whatever. But I think the ultimate heel turn would be, hey, we're going to buy DAI with this. We're going, we're going two or three billion and we're buying DAI. Uh, and that would just set crypto Twitter on absolute fire. Everyone's triangulating though, right? Like you can see, so what was it? Frax started over collateralized and worked its way to partially and UST seemed like it's uncollateralized and work and is working its way to partially right. They're both coming to the same ratio of, of backing by something. This is the same sentiment of like, you know, ETH starts decentralized and hopefully scales and Solana starts scaled and works to decentralize, right? Like the whole market, is 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 trying to triangulate to these middle grounds that I think we're all self-aware we need to be at. Do you guys have like a personal stance on is it better to start scaled with the working product, i.e. Solana, i.e. UST getting a huge supply out there? And then do you backtrack your way to the more you know, goals of decentralization of stability, or do you think like you have the follow the ETH model, the FRAX model, like start slow and then work on scaling on top of those foundations? Or well, what do you guys think? I think the, the model that FRAX uses where you know, you're, you're using like a hard asset from the beginning and you're scaling into like the endogenous uh, trust-based asset works a lot better because like in Luna's case, you're essentially bootstrapping trust from day one, and you have to maintain that trust of 100%. And if you decide to um, make the move to back Luna with a bit of UST with a bit of Bitcoin, then that's like an admission that the model's not working. So instead, with something like Brax, where you're, you're starting off with the hard asset and you're scaling into the trust asset, um, you're able to to build that trust with the market as your adoption increases as well. You don't need as many um, kind of like overlays for um, inorganic adoption like Anchor. Yeah, I think that I think that like to avoid a, a bank run like what we've seen with USD, uh, USD like you need to have uh, some amount of liquidity that any uh, player in the ecosystem think that they, if they try to uh, depeg the coin again, like people will, will gonna come with a uh, liquidity that's much oversized from what they are trading. Uh, and, and this will, they won't have a way to compete with the, this amount of liquidity. So that's why I think that you need to start big on the reserves first, you know? I'm actually going to take the other side of this, you know, like from a competitive dynamics perspective, right? You're, you're an ecosystem that's sitting outside of kind of the core ecosystems called Ethereum. Um, you don't really got a whole lot of traction, to be honest, up until like, what was it? October, November, and still even then it was, you know, relatively light. Um, and, and stable coins is a game that you, you know, you either win or you lose. Uh, like at, at full on scale, it's like it's very uh, network effective, right? If you can if you can get your stable coin in everybody's hands and they're using it, um, you've effectively won. Now, if you would have done, let's say you were Terra and like we had this kind of the major bull run of, of this UST supply expansion was happening like at the exact same time, you know, the sole loan AVAX trade was going on or, or go back to May 21, uh, one of those time periods, you know, you're getting a bunch of new users, you're getting a bunch of new apps launching, a bunch of new people need essentially stablecoin liquidity, right? That's what they're they're incentivizing for. Um, you would have put all those pieces together, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now, right? It might be different on saying like, was this the best strategy? Because like, you know, like slow is great and it's more stable, like, but you're more open to competition, right? Like, is does USDC basically just went out in the long end because everyone has it, everyone uses it, and Fraxes might have a, a much better design, but like they just haven't been able to scale supply, you know, for they a billion, two billion. So um, the the slow and steady. It's, yeah, it's it's the Cardano approach versus the Solana approach, and which one grabbed more market value? Cardano was slow and steady, and some people thought it was technically more capable, and took 
years and years and lost their market share. And Solana just moved fast, broke things, grabbed uh, grabbed assets as fast as it as they could. And it seems like we're in a land grab phase in crypto right now. For better or worse, you need to occupy mind share. You need to um, you know be forceful with with growing your community, or you're going to lose out. Tom, you're aware that um, Solana is like less than a billion dollars more market cap than Cardano. It's really not. It's not that far of a competition. I'll. Uh, okay. er, so, Dustin, do you want to disclose your Cardano holdings right now? <laughs> is, is that? Is that... <laughs> That's not. No. <laughs> I don't want any other. Yeah, so, yeah, Solana launched, yeah, that's fair. I mean, they are relatively similar in terms of market cap. Solana launched in, what, 2020? Cardano launched, had a four-year head start in terms of TVL. I mean, you know the stats. They're, they're not even close. But, yeah, fair enough. Their market caps are now similar. I mean, the one thing that's interesting is that Terra's market cap has really fallen off the cliff now. I mean, it's it went from being, what, a top five asset to top 15. Um, and I, I wonder if that the long tail of that becomes an issue, too, if you're trying to shoehorn different uh, assets into investable indices as we kind of build out this asset class more and more. Are folks not going to consider Terra because of, of situations like this? Um, maybe, maybe not. I guess a lot of the indices I've seen out there right now still include like Ethereum Classic. So um, who knows if that's going to be the case. Hey guys, it's John, long time uh, listener, first time caller. Um, I was just going to add on to the, is this, is it dead? Is it whatnot? I think what's dead is the, uh, is the design, right? Like, and, and in fairness, kudos to, to many of you here who have said for a long time, like this isn't going to work. This is not sustainable. And, and, um, clearly that's true, right? It blew up. So the question then becomes, and, and, and Tool King mentioned, uh, some other like stable coins trying to figure this out. Uh, Terra has a huge infrastructure built. Faye has chunky protocol value. The question is now like, can they design a stable coin that works? So Dai found its niche and that works as a collateralized stable coin. Um, and USDC and USDT are centralized stable coins. Frax is also a collateralized stable coin. Um, can like Faye and UST they seem to be vying for like reserve back stable coins, which is fine, but you need a demand model for those to Sapien's point. Like, why would I go and use this stable coin? So if you pay me out an unsustainable yield, like, sure, that sounds great, but, but that's, you know, that's a pyramid scheme. And so like, I, you know, I'd said earlier, like it's, who wants to go and fund USDD right now after seeing what just happened to UST? That sounds terrifying. So, like, you know, I think it's been really interesting to see how these really smart and well-funded teams, now with big infrastructure around them, like, what's the solution going to be? What's your demand module or, or demand lever for your reserve-backed stablecoin? I don't know if you guys have any ideas there. I mean, I totally, I totally agree with what you're you're saying around demand. Demand is like number one by far. I don't care what your mechanism design is. I don't care how many reserves you have. Demand is by far the number one thing you need for a stable coin. And not, not just like, okay, some people are holding this in anchor, but like really organic demand. Um, and so sustainable. Like yeah. And sustainable, right. Now, like, it's it's okay not to be that right off the bat, right? Because that's kind of, there's there's some path dependency there, right? Um, but you need, I think, if I were, yeah, like, I totally you know, if I'm Doe and I'm reevaluating, uh, right? Uh, Maybe it's not incentivizing just anchor. Yeah. <laughs> Where, where well, no, uh, anyone can do this, where you throw out an idea for uh, an incentive or a demand scheme, and and everybody else just tear it apart, and we'll see if, if we can come up with something interesting. Um, having thought about this a little bit for Faye, the main one I thought of was like a, a counter-cyclical liquidity scheme. So basically, you have this, uh, you have excess reserves, right? And as the market gets bearish, there's increased demand for stables. So you become the most liquid stable on the way down. So when stablecoin prices are like above one to buy stables, you offer it at the peg and build your PCV. And on the way up, you do the opposite. And so like your demand module is literally just being the most stable. The risk to that is if your reserve currency, you're adding to your reserve while the reserve price is going down. So like there needs to be some centralized monetary policy around 
how long do we do that? What do you guys think of that? Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds, that sounds interesting. I, I think that the trouble with this stuff is be, it becomes so complicated that it can't be understood by anyone except like a select few people. <laughs> this is like the problem the Federal Reserve ran into. Like no one understands like how, you know, actual mechanics of money markets behind the scenes work. And that becomes an issue for, for people when they have to rely on, on sort of the, those markets as funding rates. Um, the most interesting model I've seen is actually launching a stable coin and having it hooked up with a, a futures exchange already. So you see a lot of people capturing sort of the um, stable coin futures arbitrage. So buying spot, shorting the future out, um, whatever, a few months, as long as the, the curve's going up, you're getting six, seven, eight, nine percent yield, whatever it is. Um, and actually embedding that into the coin and sharing it back to the users. And I've seen a few folks uh, talk about this more recently, but having some sort of native, uh, native variable interest rate that's baked into the coin um, that might be a little more understandable in some of the more like esoteric models or uh, that we're sort of thinking about. Hey, what? who wrote the UXD piece? That was Dustin. Yeah, that was me. How, what's their... How does that thing work? Uh, I mean, Tom actually just did a pretty good job. Um, they basically just take in, let's say you've got a, a Solana, you deposit your Solana, you can mint some UXD. What they'll do with that Solana is, is deposit it in a Mango and essentially take out an equal position, equal short position against Solana. So if the Solana price goes up 100 bucks or it goes to zero, it doesn't matter. It's going to stay at essentially a flat dollar value. So that's how you build the stablecoin position. And then what they'll do is on a perpetual exchange, uh, the funding rate kind of goes to the position holder. Usually it's on the long side because crypto people are, are long biased. So if you're shorting it, congratulations, you're getting paid. So this is that's that interest rate Tom's kind of like alluding to. And that's how the UXD kind of funds itself. The problem is scalability, right? You, you can only scale essentially to the, the amount of open interest in the futures market uh, that you're basically trading on. And, and a, a really a successful stable coin, right, what? UST was at 20 billion close, um, you know, Frax is one to 2 billion, right? Like you can't, it's hard to get to those levels, right? With, with doing something like this, particularly on chain. Do you think that that model would be scalable like 10 years out if, if uh, crypto continues like it's broader adoption and, you know, we see like much more significant on chain volumes? I think it could be more successful, but still niche because like, you know, predicated to all and baked into that assumption is that like, okay, we're, we're probably doing trillions of volume and you're going to need a stable coin that can settle that as well. So um, you're, it's not going to get to that level, right? You're still going to have to something that's USDC that's a hundred to one market cap of, of something that's kind of future spaces. Not to say that it couldn't be like, you know, a highly liquid stable coin for, you know, like an NFT ecosystem or something or, something a little bit smaller, right? Yeah. It's it kind of going off that point of like, um, like a niche stable coin or a niche decentralized algo stable coin. Do you guys think that this is a winner take all market? I've been seeing some discussion about this, like on my timeline um, over the last couple of days that a lot of people are saying, you know, this is just going to be one wins everything, but is there a future where there might just be a select group of, of niche coins that win out in different use cases? I think it's, you know, it's very easy to copy, right? So like the, the, the demand right now for dollars is so extreme that it patches over a lot of, you know, questionable behavior. And there's such a high demand for stable coins across the whole ecosystem that, you've got a wide variety of these projects, but if you, I think it like when you stretch out to a sufficiently long time horizon, you know, there, it's not like, um, like imagine like Visa or MasterCard where they can kind of cut in their things like AT&T and Verizon. And you can see these kind of duopolies because you can't like hard copy telephone wires and, and that kind of infrastructure and stuff. But in crypto, we can fork, we can copy, you can play with the parameters. You can, up the fee 50 bips, you can down at 12, you, you can do whatever you want, right? So I think on a sufficiently long time horizon, 
I think like it is probably a winner takes all with mini satellite fringes, right? So like Alchemix lets you like kind of do stables to leverage yield. So, you know, maybe that's not like the predominant stable, but it's a stable with an application specific design. So maybe you'll see those kinds of like stables that are focused around a single use case and those exist in niche, but far as like broadband, I'm a stable with the singular purpose of holding this price level. I, I imagine it's winner take all. I agree. It's, it's definitely winner takes. Let's just not say all, let's say most. Um, it, it's definitely going to be like this power law distributed where, you know, the high end, like you can't settle, like you, you just, it'd be impractical to have multiple stable coins that are like trillions of dollars, right? Um, so, yeah. We'll yeah, I see when, 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 uh, uh, CBDC enters the, the ring, if that ever happens, what, what it does. Yeah, I, so if we go back to like, so the dollar, why does the dollar, you know, the dollar is 70% of the world's um, foreign exchange, you know, similar in reserves, similar in transactions. And that is because it's a claim essentially on oil and oil is the medium of exchange that sort of keeps the world running. So what what is the lifeblood of crypto and it's block space? So whoever has the most popular block space, whoever has the most popular stable coin on that chain, I think will likely be the most popular one. So I don't know if that's, so if it is Ethereum, so what does that mean? I mean, there's so many stable coins on top of there. I think one of them probably accrues the most value, but if you bet it's another chain, it's probably that stable coin. Do you think there's a level of price and or importance where like right now the beauty of the dollar stable coin is you know dustin you, you brought up earlier right like going short uh and going short dollar long stables is what basically gives you that positive carry when you open the short position to like create uxd right like the whole crypto ecosystem is biased long but you know say 40 70 100 years from now there's probably not as much upside 100 years from now as as there is today so you kind of hit that equilibrium point and then in that you know ecosystem does it make more sense to start moving towards as you said tom right like if the desirable energy is block space do we move towards ethereum denominated stable coins or like badger does dig which is like a bitcoin denominated stable coin and i think it's it's like you're kind of jumping the gun on those but those are fun experiments to watch like what do you think of like non-usd stable coins and not even like euro or jpy or any of those kinds of stable coins right but like true crypto native stable coins I mean, I think we'll definitely keep experimenting with the designs, right? And like, like just take just take that UXD example, right? Really, what they're looking for is just a way to one keep my uh, reserve stable and earn interest at the same time. That is, that's all you need to do, right? Um, so going to your block space thing, I think this is actually an interesting idea, right? Where you've got Ethereum block space is basically paying, you know, five, seven, whatever percent it is, um, almost like a little bond, right? And you can you can delta neutral this as well. Uh, so I can I can definitely see a place, and you've got a, a much bigger market there as well, right? Because you've now I've got almost the entire Ethereum stake market at your disposal, uh, so, and that's obviously like just by definition got a scale relative to the amount of liquidity that's on chain that's securing anyway. Um, so that it actually is a good a good thing that right you can almost scale the market that you need, um, basically to, to get the funding to get the um, uh, the stability, all at the same time, you're you're scaling the liquidity. So, like that, that's actually probably a really interesting idea. We'll, we'll probably see explored. What's the idea? you think that, that people will will fund block space? I don't understand. What's the idea? Well, if you if everyone stakes their Ethereum, right, then it actually you could you know if you go like the squish chaos triple happening, everyone stakes their Ethereum and like true unwrapped or uncollateralized like naked ethereum essentially becomes like a more rare asset but it becomes significantly important to a digital economy or a real economy then you know the same way right now like people are willing to like do workarounds to get dollar synthetics there will be i'm sure applications in the future where you'll want an instrument that holds price to ethereum 
but you can't get your hands on any actual Ethereum, right? And then maybe that underwriting instrument, you know, is then involved in futures contracts that, you know, a DAO might use to hedge gas costs or something like that, right? Like you're really building a mature ecosystem at that point. But I do think like if you buy that ETH supply dries up, but there's still applications which need an instrument that pay, that like pegs to the price of ETH. I, I could definitely see like, ETH and Bitcoin stablecoins becoming more popular over time. I think those, I mean, those are just futures, right? They're like, you have a funding rate and a derivative exposure to the underlier. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, so, and I mean, I guess to, to the point that you guys are making though, that the market for those is growing rapidly because people want exposure to this stuff and there's, there's just not, well, maybe part of that's because some people can't own the direct asset. But um, Token, to your earlier point, isn't Ohm the 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 crypto native reserve currency? It's like they're basically going to build a pool of underlying assets like PCV and just say, however, like the overall market goes, that's what the value of our underlying token is. Oh, if you're going to give me a chance to espouse Ohm, yeah. I, I disclaimer it used to hold Ohm. It went down, and I tax lost harvested some, so I, I don't hold any now. But I, I do like the coin a lot, and I have, I have held it in the past. Um, I almost think of it like my mental model, which which people have disagreed with me on. So I, I think it's honestly not perfectly refined. But like, um, you know, like DPI when I got into crypto for the first time, it was super cool to see like a crypto that was a basket of other cryptos. I was coming from. TradFi, where like, you know, buy the index and walk away was would typically a successful call. So I thought, oh, I'll buy the DPI and walk away. But it just didn't move fast enough, right? Like sometimes I kind of like to laugh about the, the truly composure of, of the DPI basket. But Ohm, to your point, like doing the Olympus Pro bonds where they essentially get a free seed allocation in a bunch of projects, they kind of move fast. They've got, you know, love it or hate it, they have a reputation for like keeping up with the meme being culturally relevant i think it's a positive when a team is like good at keeping the spotlight on themselves even if it's sometimes negative press so you know i whether it becomes a reserve currency or not from a basket good perspective it's all it's always been interesting yuli do you agree with that you've you've done a lot with ohm right do you agree with that uh like depiction yeah, of it? i think that the problem with Ohm or even Ethereum or Bitcoin to be a reserve currency is the volatility. Like uh, for you to use this as a currency, you need to get to a point that those uh, assets don't have volatility against the assets that you're trying to buy, you know, like because otherwise it's chaos. And I think this is going to take uh, much more than like a couple of years to for us to reach that. And uh, in the meantime, I think we're going to see other stablecoin design uh, having a bigger uh, importance in the ecosystem. Yeah. I, I, would, I would just like to take this moment to make sure that we're all aware that the US dollar is not, I, can, I don't know if I can say a cursor, but it's not stable. That's a total fraud. We just decide to make everything else worth one U.S. dollar, but like inflation's over eight percent, and the Fed doubled the the monetary base last year. This is not like a stable asset. So let's just well, let's just make sure so, that we're all uh, we well, all hate the, just, the establishment I, equally. <laughs> so it is a stable asset in the sense that it is the like the denominator of literally everything. So. It doesn't really matter. And anything can be a stable asset. I mean, I mean exactly, just exactly. And any, yeah. any, any, well, anything you denominate your wealth and your life in is in Bitcoin. So if you're a Bitcoin maxi and you denominate your life in Bitcoin, sure, but you can't pay for most things at the grocery store in Bitcoin. You have to convert back to US dollars. There's no, the, the base level right now is USD. Whether you like it or not, it's just the truth. So will the base level ever be Bitcoin or Ethereum? I, I find it really hard to believe just going back to Yuli's point, just because of the volatility. And it's it's really hard to have a volatile asset that people want to spend. I mean, just look at half the countries in South America right now. I mean, it's, you know, people immediately spend things um, as soon as they get them because, you know, the, the volatility of the currency and the inflation rates. You need something boring, stable, and 
yeah, inflation sucks right now. It's 8%. But in reality, it's been 2% for the last 30 years. So that's that's stable. How do I always get in a position defending the Fed? This happened again. Um, I, I love so, the Fed. I, I'm a huge Fed fan. That's uh, Fed, Fed guy two 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 is taken on Twitter. So <laughs> I went with Dunley. Dun, that's, so that's that's my that's that's on me for not getting there earlier. Two thousand nine was not early enough. Uh, so while we're talking here, you know, UST is now down to seventy six cents from ninety one cents earlier today. Uh, I it it seems like Joe's news can't come fast enough. Do do we think we're going to see another uh, swing down tonight, gentlemen? I don't know. I mean, my... Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I saw where, uh, so the, the, if you understand the lunar mechanism, right, it, it's like has a daily cap of how much you can essentially redeem of the USD, UST at, per day. But no, I don't really know when it resets. I think I saw someone saying that it kind of reset it pretty recently. So you had another wave of essentially UST that could have just been sold and, and Luna sold for Luna, right? And then Luna sold for something else like USDC. Um, so that it's just a floodgate that might have just been open pretty recently. Yeah, my worry is that if Doe comes out and like is able to raise two billion dollars or whatever um, with all of these VCs locked up, um, like well, I would think we would um, have like some sort of bounce. But the question becomes: Does everyone that's been holding like a eighty-five cent UST? head to the doors and immediately try and redeem. And, you know, it's just like the the final fireworks and then we hit zero. Um, that would be, that'd be my main concern, but it seems like it's ticking against the clock at this point. From a market yeah, perspective, I, like the longer that the UST exists under peg, the more volume happens under peg, which lowers the aggregate, cost of entry for participants and by nature you know your upside is capped at a dollar right so say i bought at 70 cents i know my max upside is a dollar i'm probably not a seller at a dollar i'm probably a seller at 99 98 80 you know depending on how much money you're trying to make on this you're you're a seller at levels in between here and a dollar which reaffirms the volume being done under the dollar, which continues to move the cost basis down, or at least under a dollar, which opens that profitability between where you are and where you want to be at a dollar. So I think time is, on one sense, people have had kind of the thought that let things calm down and then make your big purchase and restore peg or, or do what you got to do. I'm not as convinced. I, I think the more volume is done at these levels, the harder and harder it becomes to reclaim the peg just because the incentive structures of the current holders changes. Terra is now <clears throat> trading at 16 and change, $5.8 billion protocol, number 20 on our list. Yeah, I think um, to your question, Tom, I think – he, they, I don't think he can just say, hey, we have $2 billion to back this thing because then it's like, okay, that just restarts the clock um, until this happens again because this the system is doesn't work. So if, unless they can find a way to – like unless they say we're shutting down Anchor and we have $10 billion for everyone who redeems from Anchor uh, or however much that's going to be, like, I mean, it's just I, – I, I don't know what they can do. That's what they'd have to do, I guess. And say, we'll let everybody who's in Anchor out, and we're going to shut down Anchor. Are there any stats available on um, what the Anchor net inflow outflow has been like all day? Because I would think that people that are willing to make the arbitrage would immediately go into there, and we could see what the um, actual like safety valve is of people that, you know, might be stickier up for the long run. I think it's mostly net outflows. Yeah, you went from peak deposits at, uh, I'm seeing like 14 uh, bill, and now you're at 6.4 billion as of right now. So uh, just continued outflows. And, and definitely like looking at some of the stats on like, 
you know, there are people who are depositing into Anchor, but it's just, it's insignificant compared to the draws. Where are you looking at that? Where are you getting that data? Uh, the Anchor dashboard. And then this morning we were running some, we were pinging just Terra blockchain directly. Yeah, I think another uh, component that plays on the uh, people's mind when trying to play the USD game here is uh, the broad market. You know, like if, if the crypto market uh, is starting to go up again in the close time that I don't see that this is going to happen very soon. But like if the market starting to go up again, like people will feel bad of holding a position on USDT or in USDT, uh, even though the price is uh, lower than one, you know, like because they could be betting on the crypto uh, going up. So I, as we get down the time here, I'd love to get a percentage chance from everyone that they think UST actually uh, goes goes to zero or crashes or you know goes to the reserve price. Um, no financial advice, but just just an overall sense. I mean, I think. I, I would handicap it close to zero given how much is invested in the ecosystem and how many backers are willing to jump in and throw billions at it. Despite the broader uh, macro conditions right now, it seems like there's no shortage of people who are willing to back the ecosystem. Throw out to others. I think the, I think the peg's fine. Like just go back to Faye, right? It took Faye like a month to get back to peg. I think maybe something similar kind of Mike's points will happen. Um, it'll take a while, but the, the real who's going to hurt in all this situation is, is like Luna holders, right? Like just because the peg gets back doesn't mean the Luna asset is, is going to be feeling really happy. Um, so yeah, it wasn't, it's not a percentage, but go for it. How about question on top of that? Because, you know, if the UST supply shrinks to, $20, then obviously they can get $20 of UST back to peg. So I think realistically, their hand will be forced if they can't restore peg at this current market cap or out supply of UST. They'll have to continue to find ways to redeem or shrink or bring down the UST supply until they have the firepower to get to peg. So what price level or what like outstanding supply of UST do you think they can get back to peg? Right? So there's I'm, I'm seeing on CoinGecko, like, uh, okay, this is market cap, not supply, but like 15.7 billion of UST outstanding. What, they've got 2 billion, your quarter off peg, blah, blah, blah. So what, hand wave, say the supply of UST comes down another third, you don't get that peg back until you've shrunk it to 10 bill or something like that? Like, who knows? We are limited to how much to supply like you this, can you know? earn. Just kidding. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You. Well, you're you're limited to like how much supply you can burn at one time, right? It's not like you can just lick off a billion dollars of UST supplied overnight, right? It's I think it's limited roughly like a hundred a hundred million or so per day at like about the um, five bips of slippage. I'm not I'm not quite sure, and you can do probably more at more than that. Um, so unless that's opened up, then then the Luna asset's going to really eat it right because we're we're really far off right if, if luna's someone said quoted 16 um it's probably the the ratio of ust to luna is probably really really high probably like to two to three uh, historically that's been around one at bad times and then way under um in good times right so to get that's a huge delta to cover up oh pikey what if they went full dgen and they said you know what Here's 50%, no, 100% APY on Anchor. Pile in your UST. Let's get Luna back up. And then they come in and they dump a bunch of Luna to refill the coffers. Full degen. Get, get in the Discord, John. Get in there. Tell them, tell them what's up. Tell them to use those VC funds, right? Luna, since we've been Luna talking, the, the, the past hour, Luna has dropped 32%. That's insane. Thoughts and prayers out there for everybody, including, I guess, myself. I forgot that I hold this thing, but <laughs> um, it's uh, it's tough and tough in the streets. But, you know, I will say 
everyone that was praying for another March 2020 moment, this probably is not all the way there, but you know, if you're responsibly allocating and think about rebalancing your portfolio, these are the times where you, you think about making the long run if you have a long time horizon. So keep keep those long-term goggles on, I think, everybody. Um, we want to close it out here. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, special shout-out to Tom, Mike, Dustin, Yule, Chase, and John TVL for joining and jumping on stage. Um, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled Wednesdays, not next week, but the following, which will be the 25th, um, and that'll be 4 to 5 p.m. EST. Thanks for joining, everybody. <laughs>